Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! everybody. It is Brian Nemhauser, and we're back with the Hawk Blogger crew for what is the 40th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Yes, you heard me right, the 40th episode. We um, happily are going to get to talk to you about a Seahawks victory. Uh, last time we, we left you, uh, the topic of the podcast was, is the Seahawks season doomed? And Nathan, uh, as we'll talk about soon, uh, was... You know, he completely changed his tune. He was super pessimistic. The rest of us were really stable, really even-handed. And, you know, turned out we were right. Nathan was wrong. But it's okay. Or he's going to power through that. That's all um, I mean. <laughs> uh, But, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Um, and speaking of wrong, um, in this age of... Uh, social media posers where everyone tries to act as if they've had everything right the whole time and they are the most clever people out there. We are going to actually go around table and we're going to introduce a segment called I Was Wrong. Mm. And, uh, we're going to talk about what we were wrong about in this past week uh, for the Seahawks and uh, revel in our incorrectness uh, a little bit. So um, before we do that, though, um, Nathan, as always, welcome to you. Good to see you again this week. Thanks. Bye. Hello. And uh, that's at NathanE11 on Twitter, if you do not already know that. You should absolutely follow him. He's been sending some great break breakdowns uh, of film on, uh, on Twitter as of late. And then uh, Evan Hill. Um, welcome back, Evan. How are you? I am so well. It is great to be back after a wonderful win on Sunday. It was wonderful. And you know what? Um, there's new there's news to share, Evan, and uh, you helped uh, get this all arranged. So would you mind sharing for folks um, about a little bit about what we've got going on this Sunday? Yeah. So I'm not sure if the Hawk Blogger team or blog has done anything um, pre my contributor existence, but uh, we've got a super special event this Sunday. Um, it's a it's a viewing event for all readers, listeners, friends of the pod. Uh, all Seahawks Twitter is welcome. All family members are welcome. All children are welcome. Bring your wife, bring your kids. Um, there's this place called Ocean 5 in Gig Harbor, which is a an absolutely stunning, um, how would I say this, event center. They have like a full premium bar, full premium restaurant, 
um, laser tag and arcade, like an extensive arcade room. They have like a huge bowling alley with like what seems like 40 foot like TV screens. Uh, they got viewing lounges for the game. Um, it's going to be super fun. So basically what the Hawkwire team is going to do is we're going to do a pregame podcast myself, Brian, Nathan, and William Cornell, um, founder of the Rain City Redemption series. For those who follow that series also, we'll be there. Um, so we'll be doing a pregame podcast, and then we will be hanging out with you guys uh, watching the game. So um, like I said, Ocean 5 and Gig Harbor, we would love to see you there. Um, podcast will probably start, Brian, what do you say, like an hour and a half, maybe two hours before before the game? Yeah, 11 or 11.30. Yeah, so so, yeah. Plan, so plan accordingly around that. Um, but it's, it, it's a super cool venue. Um, drinks, food are all discounted on game day. And then they're also running a, a special promotion for all Hawk Blogger um, readers. They're giving co complete free access to uh, the arcade room um, throughout the entire game. So if your kids want to bounce in and out there, you yourself want to jump in and out of the game, maybe the CRs are doing poorly. That would be horrible. But um, yeah, it's going to be a super fun time. So I'll be wearing a Rashad Penny jersey. Um, nice. It's going to be amazing. I'm super excited. Love it. Nathan, Nathan, I saw I saw a little disapproval on that, a little head, head shake. What's going on there? I am just really excited to see it in person when Evan is screaming to stop giving Penny the ball while wearing a Penny jersey. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> that will be a video worth sharing for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, the it's definitely it's a brand new spot um which is really cool and they're really eager to have us they're really eager to have um hawks fans and i know it's a trek for some people but gig harbor is gorgeous if you haven't been there um it's going to be great to go down there it's I think, only about 40 45 minutes um yeah. depending on on you know weekend uh traffic shouldn't be too bad and um man the big screens at the end of the the bowling lanes is pretty sweet i've not I, I, you know, to watch a game and be able to play, uh, that'd be cool. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be fun. Um, yeah, and we'll see. Hopefully this is the first of uh, other types of events like this we'll be able to do. And it's always some of the best parts of doing this is meeting meeting folks face-to-face. Uh, -face. Uh, it's part of what makes a sport, being a sports fan uh, worthwhile. And one last note on that, actually. If I was, was going to boost this on Twitter, but if, you know, if you're a listener of the podcast and – and you own like a restaurant or a bar or an event center in you know Seattle area, East Side area, um, or even down south. Seriously, reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to partner with you guys, and hopefully, this experience really launches that off. We are happy to come eat your food <laughs> <laughs> if we have to. Yeah. Say nice things about it afterwards on the pod. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, maybe we'll even do a, a whole video series on your food. You never know. Oh, one last note on this. I'm sorry. Uh, hmm? William Cornell, as I mentioned, will be there. Rain City uh, series founder. He is printing out several exclusive Rain City Redemption posters that are like super, super limited quantity. People have literally offered to pay him hundreds of dollars for these posters before, and he only hands them out rarely. So I think he's only going to print out like five to ten. He said so. Um, that'll be a part of the a part of an incentive to show up on Sunday. So. Happy to happy to meet some of you guys and come up and say hi. We'll buy you a beer. Cool. All right. So we uh, when we left everybody, we were talking last week. Um, obviously, I was I was being facetious there. Uh, you know, it's pretty clear that 
Nathan uh, was feeling not much different about the Seahawks. A little bit, a little bit more pessimistic, but roughly the same. Uh, Jeff and I uh, were feeling more pessimistic. I would say Jeff was feeling more pessimistic. I was feeling a lot more pessimistic, and Evan was feeling the most pessimistic <laughs> among the group. Is kind of where I would I would place place the uh, level of pessimism. Um, so. Now we've gone through the Seahawks have won a game, and I'm curious what what's changed for you now, if anything. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Evan, because I have a feeling I know what Nathan's going to say. Believe it or not, I'm actually not 100% bought into this team yet. Um, obviously, they had a good showing on Sunday, and they beat the Cowboys, which is awesome. And I was really impressed with the defense. I think Bradley McDougal played a phenomenal game. I think Earl Thomas played a phenomenal game. I was impressed with Shaq Griffin. Um, there were some real bright spots on the defense, and and the offense played pretty well for the majority of the game. So um, I think I think there's some real bright spots from the game. I will say this though: you got to remember the quality of the opponent. Like the Cowboys do not look good this year, and their their offense was really in shambles. And that's not to take anything away from the from the de- defensive performance on Sunday, but. Um, I just want to see them continue it beyond one week. I think the overall overarching, you know, positive takeaway, and Nathan is going to hate to hear this, but they finally had like an offensive identity. Like it finally felt like they actually stuck to what they said they were going to do. You know, they gave Chris Carson the rock 32 times or something like that. So I was happy to see, you know, him dominate the share of carries between the running backs. And, and it just felt like they had an identity for the first time in a while. So um, they may not have been like super efficient and explosive running the ball, but you know, at least they committed to something in app and they actually executed on it. So I think DJ Fluker actually played a really underrated role in that too. So I think there's some positive takeaways. Nathan, what did you, what did you, uh, where do you feel differently than you did a week ago? I don't a whole lot. Um, uh, I've been saying this all along. Those first two weeks were terrible matchups. Um, you get Dallas at home. Dallas looks worse than I think um, we probably thought they were going to look. Um, and they won, and they should have. Um, it was a it was a pretty dominant game, so that was nice to see. I mean, um, I think it was early in the game when I kind of turned to my friend and I was like, "They're going to win this game." Like, I, I don't think a team had scored yet, and it just it just was really clear. Like, Dallas just doesn't have a lot going for him. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel a whole lot different. Um, I thought that this would be exactly where they are, and here they are. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the 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 way that they won, or at least the, the feeling of that game. I don't know about you guys, but um, my friend and I that were watching really actually kind of were commenting about the fact that couldn't really remember a game that felt like that, that the Seahawks had played in a while, where really seemed like they had firm control. There used to be this kind of like, I don't know, like Seahawks stranglehold that they'd put teams in where they would kind of just run and run. It was close early, and then it would get to the fourth quarter, and they'd kind of like, you know, push them off, right? They couldn't score on them. Uh, special teams was kind of dominant, and, you know, they just would end up winning. And this wasn't exactly that, but the Seahawks felt like they were in firm control of this game almost the whole time, um, and that felt different to me. Did, did did you guys feel that as well? 
Yeah, and I got that vibe from the defensive performance. I, I, I mean, the offense for the most part of the game seemed to be fairly competent, but it just felt like they were. I, I, I don't know how to say this. I'm so impressed with the defense. I, I really am, and I know you know Pete Carroll is a defensive guru, but God. Bradley, Bradley McDougald is playing out of his mind. Frank Clark had a great game. I think, uh, Nathan, you were doing some breakdowns on Twitter on that today. It, the defense just felt nasty with Bobby back, too. Bobby had a great game. And, and, and a quick reminder, this is with KJ right out. So when he comes back, this team, this defense could be even better. Michael Kendricks has been a godsend. Like Seriously. They got lucky. He's he's legitimately fun to just watch. He, you know, kind of flies around, and um, I think he probably looks a lot like what we were hoping Shaquem would look like right away. Um, but you know, he's a guy with a track record of success, and they picked him up for free. And that that story is still wild. But you know, the fact is, he's playing every Sunday for them for the foreseeable future, and he's a good player. And so, uh, losing KJ, I think, could have been a whole lot worse, as we saw in that first game against Denver. Um, if they hadn't had Kendrick's, you know, with this weird situation just fall into their laps. Yeah, we should get back to KJ a little later. I have some questions about what you guys think is going to happen, what you guys think is going to happen there. Mm. But, you know, it was really interesting, like, just seeing that them going back to the run the way they did. Um, I'm going to say what might sound like conflicting things. One, I believe part of the reason that they won this game is because they chose to run as much as they did and that they committed to it. I also believe that the real the reason, like the dominant re the predominant reason that they actually scored points was because of the passing game. Like if you look at the plays that really tran translated into points and the drives that translated into points, it was like really well executed passes at the right times on in tough situations. And, um, you know, I know that there's, there's, uh, all sorts of, uh, math out there about how these things work together or not, but just instinctually watching that stuff, something about the way that they put those things together seems to fit for a Pete Carroll team. And, um, you know what what the translation is may not come out in the in the numbers but uh it definitely felt uh, felt more like Seahawks football and and that I, I can see them playing that brand of football and being in almost every game and when i compare i didn't give, give my answer about how i feel differently or the same honestly if they had if they hadn't changed their game plan and they had called the game the way that they had called it in the first 2 weeks I would feel the exact same way I did about them before this game. It is not the result, you know, uh, that has me feeling any differently. It is the process for how they got there. And I think it's a more repeatable process. I still don't think the Seahawks offense is good. I don't think the running game is good. Um, I, but, and I have still questions about the, the offenses that they've played so far. I think the defense has definitely stepped up. But, you know, I think that the, the seven to nine wins thing still, still seems like that could happen if they play this brand of football. So, um, you know, they go, in, they go into Arizona next week. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's, let's talk more about what we were wrong about. Let's, let's, let's jump in here. I've tried to give you guys a little bit of time to think because I didn't give you much warning. And um, 
What what were things that you were flat wrong about this week um, relative to the Seahawks? Nathan, you want to go first? I know this is a hard one for you. It is. I'm so infrequently wrong. Um, uh, uh, I think, I, I don't know if it was about, I mean, not about going into this week, but one thing I was very wrong about just in going back to start of last year actually was the McDougal signing. Um, I didn't get it. Um, I didn't think he was particularly good. Um, I didn't think he was bad or anything, but like he's playing at a really, really high level now that I would never have guessed that he would be at. Um, he's not Cam, but he, uh, but uh, Seahawks fans have been so fortunate. We, it, but also it's kind of been a curse. Like we, we saw Cam and we saw Marshawn and we saw some of these guys. And like, now we always want to look back and compare guys to them. And there's just never going to be another Cam. There's never going to be another Marshawn, but setting aside that McDougal isn't Cam, like he's damn good. And I didn't see that coming at all. Um, Going into this week, uh, I don't know if I said it anywhere, but I was really concerned about Britt being out. Mm. Um, I think Britt is probably at the point where he's a little underrated by fans, even though I still think he's kind of middle of the pack in terms of just being a center, uh, an NFL center. Um, but he is, you know, a solid starting offensive lineman in the NFL. Uh, I was nervous about Hunt. I've never been impressed by Hunt. I don't think he's really played well, even like in preseason. I think he's been bullied a lot. Um, and, you know, they ran a lot, and they didn't run particularly effectively, and I thought part of that was on the offensive line. But I think overall, Joey Hunt played an okay game, and that wasn't really a big um, – a glaring weakness for them. Evan, how about you? Yeah, so it's interesting that you highlighted the offensive line, Nathan, without mentioning the player I feel like didn't get nearly enough credit that he got on Sunday. His name – What was that? I think we're going to disagree on this a lot, but go ahead. Prepare your hearts and minds, people. Jermaine Ifedi. Jermaine Ifedi. Jermaine Ifedi. Not good enough to pronounce his name correctly. He's not quite there. Correct. Correct. That requires a four-game impressive streak. I see. We're at at one right now. We're at one. How many times did you hear Demarcus Lawrence's name on Sunday? Just once. I I think it was just once I heard. I think he got one sack um, on the edge, and I think – I think Disley was on that side helping. Um, I don't. I don't remember the exact replay. I need to go back and rewatch it. But I was impressed with Ifedi. Initial reaction from the game. I thought. I thought he held his ground. I was watching him throughout the game, and and I think he might be getting better. We ca- this is cautiously optimistic here. I think the power of Mike Solari might be changing this man's heart and physicality a little bit and technique a little bit. I'm starting to get a little bit excited. So the Jermaine Ifedi train is, uh, you know, it's coming into the train station. And there's all these fans, and they're a little dispersed. Just get ready. That's all I'm saying. Nathan's taking a drink, I think. (laughs) Uh, We need to come back to Nathan after that, because I know, Nathan, you've been uh, doing a fair number of of tweets about Mr. Uh, Ifedi. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, he's been helped a bunch by having Disley next to him, and and that hasn't been terrible. But um, you know, there, this is the same guy that, like, I mean, he he got fooled by a couple uh, stunts, which has been a, a big thing with him for a long time. Um, 
I mean, there was one play where he tried to cut block and he kind of just like turned around and then sat down in front of the yeah. Um, I would not. I I never remember which one's right or which one's which, but I think I'm bullish or maybe bearish. Maybe I'm bearish. Bearish. I'm bearish on uh, uh, Jermaine Ifedi. Did he have any penalties on Sunday? That is, no, that's fair. I, I think he had. Did he have the false start? I don't think so. No, because they only had. So this is another thing that we can maybe talk about is they only had two offensive penalties. Yeah. Uh, one of them was the delay of the game, like on the very last drive. Yeah. Uh, so I I, th- I think that's a fair point to consider, though, is because Pete absolutely murdered Jermaine Ifedi for you know penalties last year. Pulled him in preseason in the you know the mock scrimmage. That's been a huge issue for Ifedi. So. Um, you know, three game sample size, um, but there might be some signs of improvement there. Yeah, I was trying to do a quick search and see if I could uh, find him uh, on on penalties. Hold on one second. So while I'm doing this um, uh, by player, one second, I'm almost there. No, this is this is worth it, Jermaine Ifedi. We're gonna find out whether or not you truly performed well. Ifedi only has two penalties, and I know he had one false start in each of the first two games, so that oh. means he did not have a penalty to speak of in this game. Okay. You know, lining up against Von Miller and lining against up against Khalil Mack, like I'll spot him on the road. On both on the road, yeah, I'll I'll spot him a false start on both of those. I don't think those either of those are egregious and played a clean. I, you know, I haven't like inspected him all like in the tape, maybe he was holding like crazy and the rest just didn't crazy it or call it. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely fair. I think that's a huge improvement for him. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, it's definitely a huge negative and you know, I have to answer uh, where I was wrong and it's taken me all the way up until this moment to be able to figure out one of those examples. But um, something I have been a hundred percent wrong about is I thought that the Seahawks offensive line would struggle with pass blocking and would be competent with run blocking. And it has been not quite the opposite. <laughs> that would be putting it too, too uh, strongly, but their run blocking is pretty atrocious. Like it's it's got a long way to go. And I think Seahawks fans, we've been really accustomed to hammering on the pass blocking. And it's easier to see when that breaks down in most cases. Um, but, you know, the... The run blocking is just not that good right now. And some of it might just be because there are a lot of guys moving around. Um, there's some amount of coordination that's involved with run blocking, a little bit more orchestration, and maybe it's going to take them some time. And actually doing it more than like eight times in a game will help them since they can't actually really practice contact anymore. So maybe that'll be part of what changes that up. But, you know, if you look at it, like the pass blocking – Look, it's it's all relative, but you know, if I go to I was looking at this earlier today and let me bring it back up. If I go to profootballfocus.com and I look at what they have for offensive line um, uh, pass blocking efficiency, uh, there's something like they are, I think like 21st in, in the NFL and that Yes, they're 21st in the NFL right now um, with a 85% pass blocking efficiency. Not great, not something to be super excited about, but if you look over the past five years, six years, they've never been higher than 26th. 29th, 30th, 31st. Um, So 
they're actually showing some signs of being a little bit more stable and a little bit closer to average there. And I think we've all said that if they can be average pass blocking with Russell Wilson, then he can do a lot of great things. So uh, that's something I've been wrong about so far and uh, really eager to see them kind of adds a little bit more of the run blocking. Do you guys think, am I right here? Like between J.R. Sweezy and Fluker and Britt and Brown, like they should be able to be a good run blocking or at least better run blocking team than they've been so far. I think it's been a combination of things. I I don't think Posick is particularly good uh, as a run blocker. Um, And then you swap him out this week for Sweezy with Fluker coming back. Um, and but now you have Hunt in there who, like I said, he wasn't like you know a black hole, but he is a small guy, he's not going to get a lot of push. Um, so maybe once they're 100% right, and you know, who knows what they'll end up going back to when Britain Posick are healthy. It, I thought the line looked okay overall, so uh, I assume they'll give it back to Posick, but yeah, I think that they can be uh, a good run blocking unit. I think they can be I think they can be better as a pass blocking unit. Like I think the talent is there to do it. Um and that's just a professional line. Like it's really nice to have um Posick go down and you know you're just slotting in Fluker really. Like he would have been hurt. So you've been down Fluker for a couple of games and then you've been down Posick a game and your line didn't just kind of fall to shambles because you had some you know, seventh round defensive tackle convert, which is, I think, what Sweezy is. But you know, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you caught yourself on that random Tom Cable project that all of a sudden is slotting in there. Like it's a line that is, you know, weathering a, a bit of a storm right now and still not being a complete dumpster fire. Yeah, and and joking aside on the um, on the being wrong part, uh, I was right there with you on Bradley McDougal. He would he would have been he would have been one of mine. Uh, I've seen Bradley McDougald as a starting quality safety. I do believe he's a starting quality safety, and I've, I think I've been consistent that about that. But he's been a lot more than just league average starter. He's he's been, I don't know. I, I would say he's been at a Pro Bowl level or close to it through three games. Um, I, I don't know if that's just total homerism, but you know, he's he had two picks in the first game. Could have easily had three. Uh, you know, has had pass breakups, like really, I think one of his best plays in this last game was a pass breakup. Like um, his coverage has been outstanding. His tackling's great, run support, um, just that fumble he forced. I mean, come on, that was that was classic. We would have expected that kind of play over the past few years. So I, I've been 100% wrong on what his upside is was and is um and it's been nice to see it's been really nice to see that he's he's someone made the point that he is one of john schneider's best free agent signings i would say that he's two of john schneider's best free agent signings right signed him last year mm. I sign him again this year right um do you he was remember how much we could have picked him up do you remember how much we paid for him not a lot you're gonna tell me i hope 4.5 million dollars a year yeah does so it lock him up for was it just one year or two years? It's a three-year deal. For real? Wow. Yes. So they have him for 2018, 2019, and 2020. I don't want to overstate this, but if he continues at his current level, that's a that's a deal. 
he's going to be holding out for more money in there. <laughs> Don't even say that. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, he's taking less, taking notes from Earl for sure. Um, yeah, so so that's that's been a pretty pretty pleasant surprise. But speaking of safeties, uh, I think we have to talk about his battery mate back there. And um, what did you guys think? Uh, let's start with you, Evan. About this is just coming from the man who who had donned his picture on your Twitter profile for a long time. Yeah. How did you feel about what transpired before the game? Uh, what are your thoughts about what they should do now? This is God. This conversation is so tough because every time we talk about it, I understand both sides to it. So let's just take the Earl side to it real quick. There's historical precedent in this team that the team extends, you know, their core foundational players entering their last year of their deal. Earl Thomas is in the last year of his deal. You know, Michael Bennett got it. Cam Chancellor got it. Richard Sherman got it. You know, Marshawn Lynch got it. Tons of people got it. Russell Wilson got it. All their core foundational pieces over the years have received this treatment entering, you know, the final year of their deal. Jeremy Lane got it. Like, like everybody has gotten it. So I, I think from Earl's perspective, especially considering his age and, you know, some kind of freak accident injuries in the past couple of years, I don't think it's unreasonable for him to be like, no, like I just, it's time for me to deserve an extension. Like there's historical precedent for that. This is, I, you know, what really annoys me is when people compare this to the cam situation, this is not the cam situation. This is not the cam holdout, the cam holdout, Cam was like in year two of his new deal. It was complete BS out of like a four-year deal. It, it made no sense. So Earl is in the last year of his deal. The money is, I believe, non-guaranteed. Like he has, a, I think, a legitimate, um, you know, concern for his body. So I, I understand that. And then I'd probably be in the same position. Uh, but at the same time, the Seahawks have gotten burned by, you know, third contracts with these players. And, you know, I... I do agree that like, you know, what's happened with other players doesn't automatically mean that like Earl's going to flop on a third contract or something like that. But I think clearly the Seahawks do feel sort of concerned or they would have paid him by now. Um, I was, and feel free to disagree with me on this. I was a little upset with him not practicing. Um, it kind of feels like, I'd rather him be like fully in or fully out almost. I'd rather him be like, you know what? No, I'm going to practice super hard every single day and I'm going to play super hard on, you know, every single game. And I don't really have, I don't have concerns at all about him on game day. It, it's the practice thing that concerns me a little bit in terms of setting an example for, you know, younger guys. And it, it, it's just, it seems like a distraction. I'd, I'd almost prefer him honestly to be real, honestly holding it, holding out like, it, it just feels like a halfway foot in the door type of thing. Um, yeah, I think his agent is real whack too. I, I, I don't really understand what his agent ha has been coaching him to do. But, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed by the situation. Um, but to sum my thoughts up real quickly, uh, I want I want there to be an end to this saga. I, I am done. I am absolutely done with the back and forth drama of this. Either extend him now like pay him now he is clearly worth it or don't and trade him tomorrow please and and, and when people bring up the comp pick formula there's no guarantee the seahawks get a comp pick from him they could go out and sign out sign some big free agent and you know completely strike through his um you know his comp his uh comp pick that we would get for him so i i just want the seahawks to take decisive action either way i hate this like in limbo phase so nathan how do you feel about about Earl 
sitting out practices. Does that bother you? No. If he's going to show up and play the way he's played in the last three games, I don't care if he holds out during the week and shows up Sunday morning. And I mean, if you're going to go get, what do they have, three picks? If you're going to get turnovers and, you know, he's playing lights out, he's breaking up passes, he's all over the place. Um, no, I have no problem with this. I, I get the idea that, like, I mean, again, this is something that Pete has to manage. We've talked a lot about his philosophy and, you know, number one is protect the team and always compete and yada, yada, yada. And this guy doesn't want to practice. But, like, I mean, he'll have to figure that out. Uh, but I, I don't see the problem here. Like, he's showing up. He's playing. He's playing really well. He's not making mistakes. Um, I don't care about it at all. I think it's getting a little ridiculous that they're not going to just pay the guy. And I don't know why. And it feels like it's a pissing match more than anything at this point. Like there's just a pride thing. Um, and that is really weird to me. Um, I, the ideal thing here, if you're the team, is that you manage to rectify the situation or get Earl right or happy enough and then like franchise him. But like, that's just never going to happen. So they need to be realistic and they either need to pay him or trade him. I do think that's true. Not because um, of the holding out or anything like that or the practice situation, but because you're going to get to the end of this year. And if you're not going to pay him, it, if you're going to pay him, just pay him now. What are you fighting about? And if you're not going to pay him, don't lose him for nothing. Like that's ridiculous. Get a third round pick, get a fourth round pick. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. It's not Earl's value. It is more than you're going to end up with at the end of this year. Um, and you know, He's very good, and he's helping this team. But this is not a playoff team. This is not a Super Bowl team. Get whatever you can out of this. Pay him, preferably. He's crazy good. Um, but otherwise, trade him. How do you guys feel about the Cam Chancellor contract? Do you think that was a good choice to sign Cam to that deal? No, but I complained about that deal. Like Me and a lot of people did not like that deal at the time. And you could see the signs of Cam slowing down. Um, that's not the case with Earl today. Like, yeah, there's risk. Earl is older and, you know, it's that third contract situation, but I don't think they're the same situation beyond that. How how would you guys feel if they signed him to a significant deal and he gets injured this year or next year and, re and retires? Would you still feel like it was the right choice? In the moment, uh, yes. Yeah. I think it's worth the risk with Earl Thomas. I, I, as great as Cam Chancellor is, I genuinely believe Earl Thomas is on a higher level significantly. Like I, I, th I think Earl Thomas is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Not to say Cam isn't. I think Cam is, but Earl, dude, just pay him. Just pay him. Come on, John. You know, drop your ego. Pay him thirteen million a year. He's worth it. Just do it. Come on. It's funny. I, I don't. I don't sense ego being involved at all. I don't. I don't get this pissing match thing. I, I think the Seahawks have made a calculation whether. People agree with it or not is a separate topic, but I think they've made a calculation that they don't want to sign him to a third contract or they're going to be very wary of third contracts based on the trajectory of this team. And they, part of what they might be evaluating is what does this team look like? Is it going to make sense for us to invest three years in this guy? Or maybe we want to get a little bit of more view in Tedrick and see whether we're better off spending the money elsewhere or whether this team is more than a couple of years away from, I think all those things could be factoring in. Um, but I agree with Nathan on, on one part in particular, which is 
I don't feel a lot of pressure about, okay, if he's going to miss practice. And, and I actually understood exactly what he said. People were beating him up about it. And I understand why they were for saying, Hey, if I have a headache, if I'm not feeling right, I'm not practicing. I'm going to take care of my body. You know what? Like that might not be the first time or the last time I should say that that happens in the NFL in today's NFL. Like these players are realizing more and more, um, what the impact is to their bodies and they know what they're going to get paid regardless of what goes on. If they're a really good player, can you make them practice? Sure. You can start to find them. Um, different teams would handle that different ways, but on a Pete Carroll team, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out. I, if I don't think his, his teammates care, honestly, um, I, I don't think that there's this jealousy. He has proven himself as a hall of fame player and, and is bringing it every Sunday and playing great football. So I, I don't feel that urgency. I am comfortable with the ambiguity. I think strategically, that's where I think we're all talking about now, like exiting this season, losing Earl, and all you get is cap space most likely because the comp picks, you have to think the Seahawks are going to spend some money on free agents this offseason. Um, that would seem like a really big mistake. Uh, so, yeah. It's if they don't want to pay, if they don't know if they want to pay Earl, they don't want to pay Earl. Like, as much as I think that's probably the, as much as willing as I would be to pay Earl, if you're on the fence three games into the last year of his deal about giving him a third contract, don't give him a third contract. Like, don't put yourself in that situation. We'll see if that's the right call or not. But, like, this is what they have to get better at. And this, these are the mistakes that they made in the past is they try to just kind of, like, keep like rolling this stuff back out there. And I think, I think Earl is the one guy where you really should roll it back, you know, again, but if you aren't sure going into a third contract, then you don't want to give them the money. Don't give them that money, trade him, get something, recoup some value. This is what, you know, Belichick and those old Eagles teams did really well. And it seems like this is still the same problem that Seattle's had. Yeah, so the decision tree there, I think, is what you're getting at, which is yeah. if if you're not going to sign him, then trade him. Yeah. And for me, the decision tree before that was even okay. If you're going to sign, if you're not going to sign him, and you're going to trade him, trade him before the draft last year. Get a player that could have contributed to this season. And the fact that they didn't do that has caused. I think more turmoil than was necessary and more churn than was necessary. And they could have been planning for a future where they knew Earl wasn't going to be there. And now they're in a position where the guy that's maybe going to replace him is not really playing. And I'm not still convinced that he can come close to replacing him. And maybe Bradley McDougald is playing strong safety and you'd need him to play free or I don't know. There's a lot of things that end up being kind of messed up about that. And the farther you get into the season, the less value he has to the team acquiring him unless, you know, um, uh, unless they're able to obviously sign him to that long-term deal, which would be part of the part of the transaction. So I think trade deadline is what? Is it end of October? It's week eight now. Is it week eight? It used to be week six. I, don't, I, I think they've just pushed back. I don't know when. I'm like well, 90% sure it's week eight. Yeah, I mean, I... I was hearing, and I think others were hearing rumors that that Earl was going to be trading at, traded after this game, and 
that still could happen. It's just Tuesday, but <laughs> uh, you know, every everybody was asking after the guy has two interceptions in that game and obviously made a huge impact. You know, it's amazing. It's not surprising that that started to change the people's perspective. And uh, trade, sorry, Brian, trade deadline is October thirtieth. So okay. that's what I thought. End of October. Okay. Yeah. So weakens their their leverage though in a trade. If you if they get up to that deadline, if it's October 29th, they haven't extended Earl. They haven't traded Earl. A team knows, like, I mean, the chances of an extension at that point, I think, are, are slim. Like it, it seems like every day that goes on or every week that goes on, their leverage around on this gets less. And in fact, I think the right time to do it at the draft, I agree with you then. But his value now, right now, three games, three picks, playing well, his value is probably not going to be higher than it is right yep. now, which is a silly thing to say. Like, the facts about him and who he is isn't going to change. But, like, just, I think, perception and everything is probably the highest it's going to be right now. Yeah. On that note, what do you guys think about the Kansas City leak that came out over this weekend from Mort? Like, do you guys think that was leaked by the Seahawks to drum up maybe a little, a little uh, aggressiveness by by the Cowboys, or what do you guys think about that? Talking about the the report that the Chiefs have emerged as a second suitor for for Earl. Yeah, I mean that would be amazing for the Chiefs. <laughs> I think it would be a smart move. Yeah, especially if Earl's at the point where you're going to get him for a third, and you got a team that looks like that Kansas City team does. Woo. Yeah, is, is Eric Reed back? Is he playing? Like, Eric Berry. Eric Berry, sorry. Yeah, Eric Berry. I believe so. I think he was out last week. Yeah, he's been dealing with some injuries, but I mean, a Berry Thomas uh, safety duo would be pretty, pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it could be that the Seahawks dropped that, it could be Earl's agent dropping that. I thought there was an interesting comment that Earl made relative to the Cowboys. So uh, he he did his um, his bow after that second interception, and he did it towards the Dallas sideline. He implied, I think, I can't remember exactly the post game comment, but something, or maybe it's a something I heard, basically implying part of his comment about the disrespect has been noted, or whatever the the statement was wasn't just about the Seahawks. I mean, I think he's looking for, I think he was commenting about the Cowboys did not offer enough. They weren't offering enough um, for him. And um, so I think he's got a little, he's got a little frustration with more than just the Seahawks about the situation he's in. Um, but look, uh, as long as he's going to be wearing a, a Seahawks jersey, I'm going to be cheering for him and not going to be feeling bad about that at all. Um, as long as, uh, you know, I can quibble with what the, the Seahawks strategy is here and their decision. I don't feel quite as upset at that. I'm really not that upset at the team either. I know a lot of people are. Um, I'm just not. And look, we were just talking last week. Logic does not seem to be the thing driving a lot of decision-making around this franchise from at least in the recent history. And Pete certainly does the same you know, type of thing where he's he's giving the impression that he would like to keep Earl around and just be patient. Is it totally out of the realm of possibility that at the end of this year they re-sign him? I don't think it is. I would give it like a 
5%, 10% chance um, that that could, that could happen, that would be really weird. Like it'd be a weird way to get to an extension, <laughs> like, but it's possible. So, so question, and, may, and maybe this is too simplified of a question. So top of the top of the free safety market, I believe is like 14 or 15 million right now with Eric Berry. So say Earl Thomas, you know, wants to reset the market at like, let's go conservative, like 15 million a year, wants to be the highest paid safety. And let's say the Seahawks have budgeted, you know, what, 11, $12 million for him. Could this be as simple as like a three, $4 million salary difference in terms of what they think he's worth? Or, or do you think there's like something deeper going on here? I, I'm not the cap guy um, at all, but it seems to me that if I was Seattle, the thing I would be concerned about wouldn't be about like the average per year or anything like that, but the guarantee structures. Mm. That would be like, if you're talking about a guy on a third year, I mean, I, I don't slow him down, but he has had some injuries and you know, he's going to be 30. And so there's some uncertainty, uncertainty there. To me, I would be most concerned about when can I get out of this contract or, or how much is it going to hurt me to get out of this contract in three years or whatever. That's yeah. interesting. I think that's fair. Like the impression I get is that Earl wants to set the market um, at, at, at safety. And I do think there's reason to be a little bit concerned about a third contract player um, setting the market at any position other than maybe quarterback. Um, so Anyway, um, I can kind of understand that part of it. Uh, oh, I lost my thought on on this other piece, but uh, you know, what I wonder about is is this going to is this going to escalate any further with Earl? You know, the, we got to the third week of the season; he stopped practicing on Friday. Is there other things he's going to start doing um, that that is going to force? force the Seahawks hand. Um, was, there a conspiracy, was, was there any conspiracy talk that the reason why that, that Zeke touchdown that got called back? Cause Earl, Earl blew that play, right? He was supposed to stay over the top on that, right? Yes. Can we start a conspiracy theory that he did it on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stick it to the team? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we can, we can try to proliferate that. Um, I mean, he seems like, I don't there may be escalations and stuff, but like, it seems pretty clear he's not gonna miss a game, right? If he was gonna like screw around and miss games, he would have by now. He would have kept his holdout or like something, right? I mean, he's showing up on Sunday and playing his heart out. Like, uh, I don't. I'm curious to see his response to the fine because it, it was confirmed that he was he was fined, right? I, I don't think it was confirmed. I think Pete Carroll made it clear there were consequences, and everyone's assuming that that's a fine. Okay. There may have been a report that like it was confirmed. I'm not 100% sure, but I I, pers I believe per CBA rules, they can fine up to one week's worth of salary for the player, which in Earl Thomas's case is $500,000. So, you know, 500K fine, if they leverage like the full fine, might piss them off. <laughs> yeah. It pissed me off. <laughs> yes. So we've talked about Earl for a while. Let, let's, let's talk about the. I got to admit one other thing I was wrong about. So this is three things now. And, and then we'll, we'll, I want to get on to talking about uh, Mr. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Oh, boy. But um, Dak Prescott, he doesn't look very good. 
uh, I, I was so impressed with him, his rookie season, his decision-making, his accuracy, his strength, poise, like a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, he looks like he has regressed significantly from where he was. And, and I'm curious if you guys saw the same and if, if you felt the same about him then and, and about what you saw of him now. You know what? I'm, I'm going to lead this one off because I have a fiery opinion on this. Nathan, please explain to me. Please explain to me why your analytics friend by the name of Guga31BB tried to tell me back in the day, he tried to convince me. He tried to convince his whole Twitter timeline, all his Twitter followers, that Dak Prescott was a top five quarterback. Please, for the love of God, explain to me that opinion. I, I don't want Ben's quarterback opinions to be like representative of all analytics Twitter. You're <laughs> also saying that Matt Ryan is better than Aaron Rodgers. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, uh, so, but in fairness to Ben, I saw somebody tweet out like through his first 15 games. Um, I don't remember what all the stats were, but basically Dak played at a Hall of Fame level. Like it, this wasn't some like, like, oh, he was winning. Like it wasn't a Dilfer thing, right? Where, oh, he's winning games. It's a good team. And Ezekiel, like he was putting up legit amazing numbers for 15 wow. games. And then in the 15 games since or whatever, um, he's been like a below average quarterback. And it, it's just like, it's pretty stark that just kind of flipped the switch and turned into the Dak Prescott. I think everyone kind of thought he was going to be as a draft prospect. So I don't know. It's bizarre. He, I didn't watch him a ton. Like I wasn't really focusing in on kind of what he should have been doing. I didn't, and I haven't watched the full game yet either on replay. So um, I didn't see a lot that Dak should have been doing. I think that a, a new coaching staff could probably, mm. uh, breathe a lot of life into that, that team. Um, but it's, it, th th it was, it was a completely, I mean, we've seen a couple bad quarterback performances to this point. Like I thought Keenum looked pretty awful, even though they, they put up some points. Um, Trubisky looked really terrible. Um, and yeah, like really early in that game, it, it was pretty clear this Dallas offense doesn't have any bite to it. Yeah. That offense is really bad. And, I know we're, we're only so many people want to talk about Dallas, but I just had to bring that up because it's not often, I, I don't think that you see someone at the quarterback position come in and play at such a strong level as rookie year and then just continually kind of move backwards. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of, lot of examples of that. I, mean, I know it's happened, but, but uh, it's, it's interesting to, to see. And, and I don't think I actually mind watching it because <laughs> Cannot stand the Cowboys or their fan base. So, um, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about the running game. Um, this is Nathan's favorite topic. He requires that we talk about it every week. Uh, and I have to start by saying, like, thank God, thank bleeping God that I just got to see Chris Carson get a chance. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Chris Carson was the best running back of all time. He fulfilled all my dreams of what any running back could ever be but they gave him a chance. He's earned that chance. Like he's earned it and he's earned it like so much more than anybody else. And I think he was a big part of why the team won. I, I think that he can, he, he made his contribution to that team. And it's crazy to me that he had what was really kind of a workmanlike uh, performance. It was not, I don't think a special performance, but it was 
pretty pretty workmanlike. And he did something that hasn't been done for 18 games by scoring a red zone touchdown by a running back. He did something, I think it's been like, I don't know, 13 games or something since a running back scored a touchdown of any sort um, on the ground. Uh, first time since 100 yard game. 23 games since a player had a 100 yard rushing game. Like, what the hell has been happening in Seattle? Like, that's, that's, so crazy when you put all those things together to realize how far this team has been from what it used to be and the identity that they used to have. And I thought Chris Carson was the number one reason that the team resembled having an identity um, and, and rel- looked looked back like CX football. I loved seeing him hit a pile and push it forward um, time and time and time again. I don't want to see him carrying the ball 32 times a game. I don't think that's sustainable for him, but that was great to see. So as much as I've been incredibly critical of the coaching staff for not doing that up until now, I'm going to give them kudos for admitting they were wrong and freaking running the ball and running the ball with Chris Carson. I got I got to give it up for that. That was nice to see. Uh, Evan, where, where are you at on this? If you're going to run the ball, Run the ball with your best running back. There is no reason to give Rashad Penny a single carry. I have a Rashad Penny jersey in my closet. I'm a vocal supporter of Rashad Penny. I was about ready to walk down 85th naked with a burning Rashad Penny jersey if he outsnapped and outcarried Chris Carson in this game. I am completely perplexed that he out-snapped and out-carried Chris Carson in the first two games. My only frustration is why didn't this happen earlier? Like, I, I don't buy the gassed excuse. I, I just, why did this not happen in week one? So, I mean, it's great to see. I love it. And Nathan, did, did you hear that Pete Carroll said that he thought Carson was gassed again in the first quarter and then just decided to, to not interfere? Did you hear that? I did not hear that. That is absolutely true. I'm not making it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is so weird. <laughs> I, I, we're talking about the running uh, uh, do your thing on this, but Harold uh, Dewey, like, what the hell? Uh, isn't, isn't, you guys are run believers, so correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't a big thing about running the ball that it tires out the defense and that there's some reason why? Running backs in the offensive line don't get tired at the same rate as the defense does. And Pete, like the all, like the Mr. Running's important, like keeps looking at his running back and just thinks he's too tired. Like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I think Pete implied that maybe Carson was trying to get off of punt coverage duties or something like that. (laughs) And my thought was first, like, okay, that's weird. And second, like, why the hell do you have him on punt coverage duties? Like, if you're going to have him carry the ball 32 times in a game, like, put somebody else on that. Like, come on. Like, you, can you imagine if Marshawn Lynch was on punt coverage duty? Like, what the hell? <laughs> so, because okay. uh, um, in the preseason, there was a big fantasy football war around Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, and it was mostly national guys saying, look, first round running backs just get carries and 
Seahawks fans saying, no, you don't understand. Chris Carson is good, and Pete loves this guy. And I think the national guys were kind of right because despite, like, all evidence that Penny should not be getting carries, he was getting carries, uh, I also think that it, it's starting to feel like maybe Chris Carson isn't Pete's guy like we kind of thought he was. Like, it if he thinks that he's pretending to be tired to get out of punt return duties, like maybe that's just a thing that players do, but like that is a weird dynamic. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Pete is completely like baffling right now. I don't understand him at all. Yeah, it is, it is, it is definitely, it, there's some oddities going on there. So, so Nathan, knowing that you're not a fan of, of running and that running backs don't matter to you as well, um, I'm curious though, like what was your assessment of what you saw of Chris Carson, the player? Um, he did catch a couple passes as well. Um, what'd you see there? I'm not team running backs don't matter. Um, for real, I have a slightly different take. That's maybe the same take. Um, I think like, I think Chris Carson, if you roll Chris Carson, if you do, if you simulate a thousand plays with Chris Carson and you simulate a thousand plays with Prashard Penny in the exact same situation, I think Chris Carson is going to get you more yards um, than Penny because I think Chris Carson's a better back than Penny. Um, and like last year when we saw Chris Carson in a game compared to Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls in a game, like Chris Carson, there there are bad running backs, but I think that largely across the league there are way more good running backs and there are bad running backs and to the point where maybe running backs effectively kind of don't matter. Um, so whatever, I, I, that may be nitpicky, but that's kind of what I think. That's, I think you basically said running backs matter. I mean, by saying we've got, we don't have every running back in the league on the Seahawks. We've got Rashad Penny and we've got Chris Carson. And I think you just said, if you play one, you're going to get better results than the other. Absolutely. I don't think anyone who watched last year's team and saw Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls, like now neither of those guys are in the league. Uh, no, Rawls is, right? Where did he end up? The Browns? Oh, or? He got cut by the Jets. I don't know if he's on any roster right now. Cut by somebody. I want to say the Browns. Or... You know who else just got cut? Christine Michael. Christine Michael. Yeah. Bring him back. Cut ProSize and bring back C-Mike. Uh, no. No, I mean, so... I, I don't know. It's probably kind of six to one half another another, but like, yeah, you can have really bad running backs and then running backs matter. But I think for the most part, running backs are all pretty good. And so there's not a big difference. Like Ben's been harping on this with Le'Veon Bell, right? Everyone kind of thinks Le'Veon Bell is like a top five back at least, right? And the Steelers have never missed a beat when he hasn't been there. Um, so, yeah. I, I forgot the original question. It's been, I've been rambling. About <laughs> what do you think of Chris Carson as a player? What? What do you think of Chris Carson as a player? I think he's good. I mean, he runs hard. He's fun to watch. You know, he moves laterally well. I thought he set up some nice runs. Um, I, I think you know, to the point that running backs don't matter. I thought he looked really good, and he averaged three point two yards per carry. Like yeah, the run yeah. blocking wasn't great. So. Yeah, there, there were not a lot of spaces for him, and and I will differ from you a little bit. Like. As someone who's been really banging the table for Chris Carson and really setting high expectations, I thought there were some yards he left out there in terms of when lateral agility is necessary for to, to get to a space. I don't think that's a big strength. 
mean, that showed up in his like three cone drill and some of the other combine stuff. I, I think that's, I think he's more of a straight line guy. I think he's a push the pile guy. Um, there was a couple plays where um, I, I think, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, someone's making a Michael Dixon comment on the chat that distracted me. Um, but uh, I just, I like that he was getting the yards, most of the yards that were there. Um, you know, and I think that he looks like a, he continues to be a, a capable pass catcher. So I don't know. I, I was happy to see it. I'd be happy to see him do 20, 25 touches again this week. Um, and if they were able to, to keep doing that. And then for me, honestly, I don't know what we're doing. I guess CJ Procise, maybe they, John Schneider said maybe he had like a hamstring or quad or something, but that could have been covering as well. Like, I think CJ Procise offers more than either Penny or or Mike Davis. So I'd rather I'd rather see him get some carries and see what he can do as as the third down guy and as the two minute guy. And if they can do that, I think that they'd have a pretty interesting combination. So, um, I actually thought Penny showed signs of life in this game. I thought he looked a little bit more like what you'd want him to look like again, like the run blocking wasn't great and he got some limited carries and then he fumbled a handoff. And so like far from a, a good game from him, but just moving a little bit better. Like uh, his runs aren't disastrous. Like I think he's maybe he's a, little more, he's a little more shifty and like and burst. He has, he has a little bit more of a burst and I, and I wonder if it's related to his, to his weight drop, to be honest. I, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it seems likely, but I, I'm not willing to like buy a Rashard Penny jersey or anything anytime soon. But uh, he does look like he's looking more and more like maybe a, a capable backup. Nathan Ernst, Rashad Penny, Hall of Fame running back. You heard it for here first on the Hawk Blogger podcast. Everybody loves it. Seriously. Hall of capable running backs. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about we've talked about a, a lot here, but um, we have not talked about Russell Wilson. And um, I thought this was his this is his type of game. I mean, this is a game for me where uh, you've got you've got a lot of handoffs and you know the running backs pushing some yards, and you're putting Russell in manageable third down situations that he did really well at in this game. I mean, there's this weird thing that I found in my research that seems, I think Nathan uh, tweeted about someone or mentioned another person that found something similar. Russell's got some kind of odd, he's not a particularly good third down quarterback. There's not a lot of evidence that he's at his best at third on third down. Um, he's about league average, maybe a little bit below in some cases, but third and five to nine yards. He is better. He's like fourth in the NFL since 2012 in converting first downs. And that includes some of using his legs as well. Um, every other, you know, one to four yards, 10 plus yards, he is not good. But for some reason, five to nine, he is. And that played out in this game. He had some of his best plays on, you know, even like a third nine, I think is where the touchdown to TJ, to TJ, to Tyler Lockett came, if I'm, if I'm remembering right. So, um, and that was, a gorgeous pass. I mean, I had the perfect angle on that and he could not have put it in a better spot. So I, I loved his whole game. I thought he played really well. And if Brandon Marshall wouldn't drop the ball, I thought he would have had an even better game. Yeah. Two thoughts. Number one, 
I haven't gone back and watched Russell specifically, but it felt like he got the ball out quicker. Um, that's something at least I just felt like after watching the game. Number two, I cannot get over that throw to Brandon Marshall. Um, or wait, did you mention, were you talking about the Tyler Lockett throw or were you talking about the Brandon Marshall throw? I was talking about the Tyler Lockett touchdown. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember the third down conversion to Brandon Marshall on the, on the right, uh, seam? I think it was, yep. that was a dime. That was, that in my opinion was the best throw of the game. That was, that was incredible. So I'd love to see him to continue to get the ball out quicker, you know, especially with a couple of the opponents we have coming up and in the Rams and, and actually the Raiders don't have Khalil Mack anymore. So, but yeah, love to con continue to see that. Nathan, uh, you going to tell us that you didn't like Russell's game today and this week? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I actually, and I haven't watched the whole game. So, uh, but in a quarter and a half, I was finding, I felt like I was, or I was finding more stuff to be critical of than I had been against the Bears. I, I don't think I, I'm not going to say he didn't play as well against Dallas as he did against the Bears because he had the pick six and he had the fumble um, and those were backbreakers. Um, but I mean, true to myself, like I don't like this is kind of still what I I mean. We swing every week and we swing based on performance and stuff like this or production. I don't think he performed that differently this week than last week. I think he's the same guy. There was just more open. Um, yeah. Interesting. Cause I mean, look, I, I know your, your, your take has consistently been, you know, show me the plays that he should have made. And I would say that when you look at the tape of some of the plays he is making, you wouldn't say, ah, like the touchdown to Tyler Lockett against the bears. If you'd watched that on tape and he hadn't thrown it, I wouldn't say you'd say, oh, there was a throw he should have made. That was an easy touchdown, and he missed it. Um, the throw he made to, to lock it up the sideline for the touchdown here. You could have said maybe, um, depending on, on how things played out, but the safety was coming over. I mean, that was a 18 inches, 24 inches, you know, like uh, from, from that being either picked off or knocked down. To throw to Brandon Marshall. I don't think he was particularly open. I don't think Brandon Marshall's ever particularly open. So I think there's a lot of these plays where if you're just looking at it and saying, yeah, there's a wide open guy and he's not throwing it. I'd agree with you. There's going to be fewer of those instances, but I just don't think that's quarterbacking in the NFL. I think, I think that especially at an elite quarterback level, you find people or you, I think Jeff said the statement that you pass, you, you know, you, you throw them open that kind of implies that by throwing it, you get them separation. Mm. I, I don't think that is definitely a skill. And that's not the one that I'm necessarily asking for from Russell, but there is a matter of risk that you have to be willing to take and an accuracy you have to have in ball placement to be able to, to get ball, you know, a ball into a tight window and, and, and make, make completions. And I just thought his risk reward was better. And I thought he made some just game changing plays in this game. And so I give him credit. I thought, but he did he make those plays. a lot more decisive than he was uh, the week prior. See, and that's what's weird to me. The decisive thing, like, I think a lot of what you just said is fair, but how can we judge his decisiveness? I, what you're basically saying is then it's unknowable. Right? If you're saying, like, you're, I think you're right. If, if we watch that play, uh, the Tyler Lockett touchdown against the Bears, and he doesn't throw that pass, I don't think anyone's going to be killing him for that, right? right. 
I don't think that's going to be caught. So then basically what we're saying is unknowable. So then I don't understand how we can turn around and like criticize him for not being decisive enough. Because we're fans and we get to say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> sure. I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, I, I, like, look, I'll, I'll be, I'll, that's somewhat facetious, but one, I think admitting something's unknowable is the starting point. I will admit that. Like, we are not in the huddle. There are things about the play calls, about where people are supposed to be. There's times that receivers are actually running the wrong route. They are not making the, the right um, uh, adjustment. I mean, how many people in the world believe that Matt Hasselback was made a fool by the interception he threw in the playoffs against the Packers? Because he said, we're going to get the ball and we're going to score, and he threw a pick six at the end of the game. That was on Alex Bannister. Matt Hasselback made the absolute right read on a blitz, and Alex Bannister cut his, didn't cut his route off where it was supposed to be cut off. Most fans would never know that, and it would always just assume that Hasselback was the one that made the mistake. So I think there are that's one that I happen to know to be true. There are probably five of those, ten of those every game, and, and I think we just have to acknowledge that we don't know. Um, so that's that's where you start. But then we've all watched a lot of football. Like, you know, you watch the, the games how many times in a row, Nathan? You like you watched the the extra film. I used to watch every game three times. I don't have time to do that anymore. But I've watched a shit ton, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of football in my life, and not just Seahawks football. But I have a feeling, I have a sense for when a player is getting rid of the ball on time. When they get to the top of their drop, is the ball coming out? Um, I know with Russell Wilson. My son and I both noticed when he gets to the top of his drop and the ball's coming out right away, it's going to be a big play. Like he, when you just know it because he's very decisive in the bears game. What I saw was a guy that looked very indecisive is too simple, but he just, he didn't look confident and, and he was holding onto the ball and he was, he looked, he looked timid. He just didn't look like a confident player. And I, I saw moments where he could be getting rid of the ball and instead he was swallowing it. So I think you can't put those on Russ, though. Like, maybe. I can. You can do it. Maybe, you can but, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, let's also be honest about what he's got around him. He's thrown to 80-year-old Brandon Marshall. He's thrown he's got shoddy trying to scheme these guys open. Like, like, yeah, maybe he is timid. And maybe he doesn't have a lot of trust. And maybe he's hitting the top of the drop and he's – not finding anywhere to go because there isn't anywhere to go. Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So, so I, I don't disagree with a lot of what you just said. Like <laughs> anyone that, that says the offensive line has been good and he should feel really confident. Hasn't been watching Seahawks football. Like that's clearly not the case. Anyone that would say that the receivers are constantly open and he's just missing them. I don't think that that makes a lot of sense, but let's talk about those situations where if he's getting to the back of his drop and what do we just say? We all know, like all of us know that the offensive line has, there's a time limit there. Like there's an amount of time realistically that you're going to have back there. He's got to know that. He's got to know if, if players are open or not. And look, Russ, one of the things that makes Russ great is that he does not want to give up on a play. He will scramble to create more time. He will, you know, eschew the, the short pass looking for the long play. Like he's just, he looks for those things. And that's part of what makes him great. Taken to an extreme or, or done too often, it becomes a weakness. And, and I think that he refuses to see, okay, I'm at the top of my drop. There is no one open. There is pass pressure. I'm going to throw this ball out of bounds. And I'm going to throw it over one of my receiver's heads. And we're going to have second and 10 instead of second and 17. 
those are, I feel like very legitimate areas of growth for him. And I just don't see that often enough from him. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think if Russ is dropping back and hitting the top of his, you know, drop back and just sailing balls out of bounds, I don't think we're going to be coming back here on Monday or Tuesday or whenever we do a pod and say, boy, wasn't it great that he just threw all those passes out of bounds? Like, we're going to have the same discussion about, like, quarterbacks need to throw guys open and anticipate and, like, and and they do. And, you know, I like, like I said, I thought there was more to criticize about Russ's performance in this Dallas game. Um, not to say he played poorly, um, but I, I was finding more stuff where I was like, I don't really get why he's not getting the ball out here. And some of that is unfortunate too. And the Brandon Marshall drops maybe make that game. If they're catches, they hit him in the hand. If he, if he brings those in, maybe the game feels a little different. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Did you, Evan, did you see the, 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 Raiders play against the Rams earlier this year by any chance? Watch Derek Carr in that game. Have you watched much Derek Carr? He was, he's been awful. Well, so, I mean, he is the opposite. So he's the guy that, again, to an extreme, he gets to the top of his drop and he throws the ball. Like he throws it in under two seconds, like all the time. Like the guy. Any, just, any hint of pressure, it's gone. Right. He just throws it right away. And most of the time, he's throwing it way, like a lot of times it's inaccurate. It's horrible. People's heads. And so, I don't think that's any better. Like, I'm not saying that he should become that guy either. But I think we, we get to these extremes where it's like, he's he's all right or he's all wrong. And I just think, like, he needs to do more. He needs to throw the ball away more often. And, yes, I would compliment him for doing that. Yeah, What's Derek Carr sees a defender 25 yards out and he throws the ball away. Like, it's yeah, – yeah, that's the other extreme for sure. Yeah. So – um. I know that uh, Evan, uh, we probably got to wrap up here in a few minutes, but um, we're looking ahead to to Arizona. Let's talk about that for a second, and then we'll 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 wrap for the night. So, Cardinals look like a pretty bad team. Um, they have Chandler Jones, who's a great pass rusher. They have Josh Rosen, a rookie quarterback. Uh, they have Patrick Peterson. They have a few other things going for them. Um, Evan, what are you kind of anticipating this week? What do you, what do you need to see from the Seahawks? I expected a, a, a very dominant defensive performance. I, people are not talking about how, well, maybe they are talking about it to an extent. And I know Cardinals fans are talking about it, but their offensive line is complete and utter trash. It is very, very bad. I saw a stat the other day that they were giving up like, They've given up more pressures in three games than like only a couple other teams in history. Like it, it, it's crazy what they're doing. So they're really throwing Josh Rosen to the wolves. Um, it, 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 it should be a game for Frank Clark. Frank, I'd love to see Frank Clark have a couple of sacks. You know, I think he's had one sack in each game so far, or 0.5 maybe on Sunday. Um, so it'll be interesting to see our defensive line match up against their offensive line. Um, I'm their offense has been so putrid. Uh, you know, Sam Bradford was averaging like three yards per pass attempt. So you got to think like Josh Rosen has got to be better. At least they'll probably be more aggressive. So, you know, they may, they might take more shots and stuff like that. Um, but you got to, you got to watch out for David Johnson. David Johnson is still a stud. Um, you know, they have a new head coach and everything since Bruce Arians left. So we don't really know a whole ton about this Cardinals team. We don't have a ton of film on them. So 
Um, our offense should really kick some butt. They should they should put up you know twenty four plus points this game. So, but I, I think the the real matchup I'm looking for is their offensive line versus our defensive line. Uh, we better dominate. That that's to be expected, and it, and it could end up being you know the nail in the coffin for the Cardinals this game. Yeah, we definitely saw more pass pressure from the Seahawks this time uh, in the, the Dallas game. Uh, Nathan, what do you, what do you want to see uh, in Arizona? More passing, uh, less running. Uh, we didn't get into it a whole lot, but 3.2 yards per carry is not good. Uh, and I, I don't know that that was super helpful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want to – it would be great to just have another game like the Dallas game. Like, I don't need them to look completely dominant. I don't need them to, like, you know, have five turnovers or anything crazy. But another one of these games where they just look like the better team from start to finish and we don't do the thing we always do with Seahawks games where they're incredibly stressful and like all that stuff. It was that, that Dallas game was a nice kind of breath of fresh air. And if we get just one more of those, even if they only end up winning by like 10 or po- 10 points or seven points or whatever in the end, you know, like just kind of have that kind of this team is better. This other team isn't going to, you know, do anything crazy here. We got this. And then just have a nice Sunday at Ocean 5. That would be great. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll cap on that. But, uh, look, Evan, last time Seahawks played in in uh, Glendale, you mm-hmm. and I were there. And Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor played their, their last games as Seahawks. Yeah. Um, in a really weird, depressing um, – sort of tribute to them, I, you know, laminated those tickets and framed them uh, because to me that was really the nail in the coffin for the Legion of Boom. So that was a really sad game. It was a really sad experience, and I hate playing in Arizona because bad things just happen in that stadium. So there been some amazing things that happen in that stadium, though, too. Oh, really? Like, like the pass on the one-yard line? Okay, that wasn't great. I'm just saying – there, there, there was a period of time where we owned them in that. We win there. That's uh, a period of time. That's that's right now. I think yeah, we, no, we last like three or four there or something like that. Yeah, like I I remember a couple years ago where it was a Thursday night game and they had like it looked like it was a home Seattle game, especially after the game. Like the 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 area behind where they do the interviews and everything was just packed with Seahawks fans, and I think that they had some games where they beat them like forty to three and stuff like that right so yeah it's not to be a house of horrors yeah. yeah i'll never forget that russell wilson juke on a on a scramble yeah. uh, this was years ago i don't know if you guys remember that and the marshawn lynch run yeah beast mode 2.0 yeah yeah there's been a lot of good stuff down there it's actually a great if everyone hasn't been there like i think it's a great place to go and watch a game uh, i like the pregame scene there a lot it's i was mo- okay you know what? i might get absolutely you know crucified for this take but I was mostly impressed with Cardinals fans. Actually, they they seem to be um, fairly uh, level. I don't know if level head is the right word. Fairly gracious in in their welcoming. It's because they've uh, stuck. They're like one of the worst franchises in the history of the NFL. So like they, they don't. There's not a lot of pride. Yeah, um, Arizona is not really like a NFL state. Like <laughs> the funny thing is, they are one of the loudest stadiums I've ever been to. I think they're. I think they're louder than CenturyLink Field. I will say. Oh, that. currently day yeah. to day. Yes. Not, that's not even a debate. Like, yeah. I think I think my hot take is that the clink is super quiet. But my hot take is that the Seahawks are actually better with Bradley McDougal at strong safety than if Cam Schnatcher was still healthy. Ooh. 
I don't know that's wrong. I don't know that's, that's a hot take. They're not better than if they had 2013. Yes. Cam, that's but, different. But 2018 healthy cam? I yeah. Don't know, that's crazy. Do you want yeah. to know something really sad and depressing? Well, maybe it's not sad and depressing for Cam Chancellor, but the total money we're paying to Bradley McDougald over three years is about 75% of the dead money we'll pay to Cam Chancellor in the next year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> not a fun stat to end your night on. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, hey, I, I'm definitely interested to see in the game. I'm, we'll be doing a pregame pod um, Sunday, so people should tune in, even if you can't come down to, to Ocean 5. Um, tune in. Uh, we'll do it on YouTube here. It should be over video. And uh, Evan, run down again uh, where people can find out more information about the event and, and some of the, the benefits of coming down. Yeah, so just to recap real quick, Ocean 5 and Gig Harbor, uh, they are going to be playing Red Zone before the game. A lot of people were asking about that, so they'll have Red Zone on all the screens. You can drink beer, listen to the podcast with us, talk with us, chat it up. Um, it'll be super fun. We have more info on the Hawkblogger site. Um, so if you go to the hawkblogger.com, the front post is um, elaborating on further, further details. So like, like I said, the promotion for Hawkblogger fans is you get um, – unlimited access to the arcade all game. Uh, but just like, like we said, you know, all kids and family members are welcome. Um, it's going to be a super fun time. Food is discounted. You know, I was looking at a lot of their beers. It's like five bucks. So, um, it's gonna, it's gonna be really fun. Um, the venue is stunning. I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of it. It's, um, recently built in the past few years. It is, uh, really a premium facility. So it, I think that? it's going to be a super fun time. What was that beer system like? What was that? What was that beer selection like? Oh God, it was a lot of local stuff, which is good. That made I made it sound bad, but um, yeah, they got a lot a lot of local craft stuff. And but do they have Coors Light? I actually didn't see that. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing, dude. Yeah. I'll, I'll be happy with the Manny's. So, um, all right. Uh, hope to see folks there. It should be fun. And uh, with that, uh, go Hawks! And uh, thanks for tuning in, folks.